0: Good afternoon, brothers, and greetings in Jesus' name. And I carry greetings from the brothers down at the Pilgrim Congregation in Stewart's Draft. It was wonderful driving up the side road here and coming around the corner and seeing this gathering of men here and all the vehicles. I parked in the churchyard and along the road, and it looked like wherever they could find room. I did not expect that this many men would gather together on such a beautiful Sunday in August. Inside, I I don't know what I was expecting, but um, I'm very blessed to see so many men, young and old, in this room, uh, exhorting one another in the Lord. So I hope to encourage us a little bit in four areas. Number one, in our devotion to the Master. And then secondly, I hope we can cultivate an awareness of God's presence and then of course we, we got to talk about Bible reading and prayer. So, first of all, <clears throat> I've got a handout. I don't know, some of you may have picked it up there in the back. There's might be a stack back there. I've got, I brought 125, I think, uh, for good measure, but I think there's more like 160 men here. So you can just divide them out, brother, as you see fit. I also have a, a second piece that I'm gonna offer later on just to pick up on the way out, a four-month Bible reading plan. <clears throat> so we'll go ahead and get started as the hand. So let's let's take a look at a woman in the Bible. I guess it's okay for Mennonite men to be taught by a woman. So we'll take a look at Mary, um, Mary of Bethany. And it's possible, <clears throat> I have down here on your handout, it's possible that she was Mary of Magdalene. Now it used to be Kind of considered in church history, but more in the recent decades now. I think, Bible scholars think that they were two different women. But for most of church history, and I'm kind of going to go by that today, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany, at least in the West, were thought to be uh, the one and the same. So whether or not they were, let's think about Mary's deliverance. You know, uh, Jesus cast demons out of Mary of Magdalene. And can you imagine what it would be like to be possessed by demons and then to be set free? Has anyone here been delivered from demons? Praise the Lord. Well, I'm standing here giving testimony by the grace of God to have been delivered from demons. Now, I know you may have a question about that, but think about this, which is worse to be indwelt by demonic spirits in this earthly life for a few years or to be cast forever into their environment for all of eternity to be with them? See what I'm saying? All believers who have trusted in Christ and have been delivered by Him, have been delivered from an eternity with demons. Praise the Lord! Isn't it wonderful to be delivered from demons, whether it's in this life or in the life to come? And so we have in Mary of Magdalene, if she was the same as Mary of Bethany, they were both women of devotion to Christ and thinking about the deliverance from demons And that thought in itself, if we could carry it with us, wouldn't it be, men enough of a blessing to cause us to want to be devoted to our Deliverer for the rest of our lives? So I'm going to be talking about devotion to the Master, cultivating awareness of God's presence, and then a little bit about reading the Bible and the prayer life. And I want to start by calling our attention to the fact that a, a vibrant devotional life begins and ends with devotion to this master, this same master that Mary was devoted to and those early disciples were so thrilled by and inspired by and galvanized by that they went out and preached the gospel everywhere and they turned the world upside down. That same devotion to that same master is what we have the privilege of committing our lives to. The word comes from a Latin word, vover, meaning to vow, and it has the idea of earnest commitment, deep love, and desire to serve tremendous loyalty, and Mary of Bethany was a human definition of devotion. So what can we learn from this woman in Luke chapter 10? Well, she sat at Jesus' feet. We know that story that Martha, her sister, was serving. Here sat Martha. Uh, Here sat Mary, I should say, at Jesus' feet. You know, sometimes we men just need to lower ourselves down off our pedestals, don't we? Isn't that the case? Sometimes we get feeling so self-important, and we kind of set ourselves up to be somebody, and we just need to get down below everybody, just below people, and sit on the ground ourselves so that we may hear Jesus speak as Mary did. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he taught. And Peter taught, uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And maybe I'm proud of how much time I spend reading the Bible or proud of how much time I spend in prayer. And that might be the very uh, worst kind of spiritual pride. She listened to Jesus teaching. What am I listening to? You know, some years ago I remember hearing it said that among the conservative Mennonite men, Rush Limbaugh. Does anybody remember him? That Rush Limbaugh was, uh, was, was devastating, was was devastating, was was cutting into conservative Mennonite men and changing them. That's what I heard. I don't know if that was true or not. But may it be said that Jesus is transforming Mennonite men because they listen to him. And Mary made the best choice. Jesus said of her that she has chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. And all of us know that a devotional life doesn't just happen. Don't all of us know that? It's so easy to skip over devotions or to start the day and kind of neglect to get our heart in tune with God. Neglect by reading prayer. We're so busy. Got so many things to do. and got to bed late last night. And I just can't get up in time for this. It just doesn't just happen. We know that. But all of us have still 24 hours in a day like Mary did. And we have the power to make good choices, to develop good habits. We have the ability to set aside that 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, hour, whatever. We have the power to do that. We're not trapped in poor habits. With God's help, we can choose the best habits. We can make that best choice. What will it take for us to choose the good part as Mary did? Could we get up a little earlier? Could we give up a little sleep or even give up a little bit of work time? She obtained what was lasting. You know, oftentimes I've been ashamed of how I maybe rushed off to the day and to the day's work and to accomplish something. What? What? To accomplish something, but it will soon turn to dust or it'll soon burn to ashes. But you know what, Mary did there as her sister worked away, what she did there, she sat there and she obtained what was lasting. And the few. The few hundred dollars that you could have been earning today, possibly, you know, that will soon uh, vanish and turn to dust. But that extra time spent at the feet of the Master, listening to his teaching, as Mary did, can shape our character for an eternity, and it cannot be taken from us. And then She obtained what was lasting, and she offered back to Jesus what was most precious. And we know that part of her story too, the time that she took that alabaster box, and she broke it. You know, if you take it into today's economy, three hundred days worth of work for a workman, what would that be? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure what the what the the average wage for a working a workman would be in say Virginia or even in Rockingham County. But let's say $30,000, $40,000, $50,000. $30,000, dollars $50,000. Can you imagine? And the disciples uh, complained about that, some of them did. Why wasn't this perfume sold for this much and the money given to the poor? But this woman gave what the very best to the Master and her act reminds us that true devotion holds back nothing from Him. Let's go on now to, as we've considered this woman in the New Testament. what her devotion might teach us. Let's take a look at an Old Testament character, and if you want to, you can turn to Genesis chapter 28. And we're not going to read that passage for the sake of time. But turn to Genesis 28 and we break into this story of Jacob. And we know that story well. You know, he had just deceived his brother and he needed to leave because Esau was uh, threatening his life and he left home, and he traveled along, and it says it got dark, and Jacob found a stone to lay his head onto, and he fell asleep somehow with his head on a stone. And then the Bible says that he dreamed, and he had a vision. And we know that story, he saw, he saw, he saw a ladder that reached from heaven, up to the, reached from the earth up to heaven, And the angels of God, it says, were ascending and descending on that ladder. And then the Lord God of Israel stood up there at the top of that ladder in heaven. And here's what he said. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father, and the land I'm going to give to you and your offspring. And your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you're going to spread to the east and the west and the north and the south. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then he promises to be with Jacob. And then it says in the scriptures that Jacob woke up. And when he woke up, you know, he became aware of God's presence. Is that the case with us men sometimes? We got to wake up, don't we? And maybe this is what today is for us. We're waking up possibly from our slumber. Is, is God using this occasion to call us back to raising our families for the Lord? To wake up. Jacob woke up and then he became aware that God was in the place. And when he became aware that God was in the place, he said, I knew it not. And he confessed his lack of perception and his spiritual dullness. And after he woke up and after he made that admission, after he recognized where he was, then he stood in awe of God, didn't he? Then he said, He was afraid and said, how awesome, how holy is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. My question for us today, brothers, is how would it be if we could remain aware of God's presence? You know, the lack of a vibrant devotional life, which I have often experienced, is not just The solution is not just a little more Bible reading and prayer. We need to be honest about the fact that we're often spiritually dull and we lack perception because maybe we've been asleep. And Jacob stood in awe of God after he became spiritually aware. What if we knew that God was here? What if we knew that God was here, as did Jacob? Forgetting that he is here is maybe the greatest loss that a man can experience. And God's omnipresence is the basis for a meaningful devotional life, I think. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord there in Jeremiah 23, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him? Do not I fill the heaven and the earth? That's what God declares about himself. His presence fills everything. Which means that if you were to stand all the way out there at the edge of the Milky Way, you would be no closer or no farther away from God than right here, right now. So His omnipresence gives us the right, the privilege to come to Him. But more than that, in 1 Kings 8.27, Solomon said there in prayer at the dedication of the temple, Behold, the heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot contain thee. Not only does God fill the heavens and the earth, but they can't even contain him. And I think it was Tozer who said that God contains and fills the universe like the Atlantic Ocean contains and fills a bucket. Well, that's a powerful thought, isn't it? And this, this God wants to speak to us. He wants to come to us and have fellowship with us. So I remember, um, it's been a little while ago already, too long ago, that I was at a Lowe's and uh, I was talking with the attendant there at the counter. And um, I thought this young fellow had kind of a sad look on his face. I wanted to encourage him and I said to him, Do you know that inside every human heart there is a gateway, a portal that leads you to God? can can open up to God. And have we forgotten the wonder of that brothers? That inside every one of us there is that opening, that portal, that way that opens up to the presence of God. And yes, we can't get to God had it not been for that ladder. That ladder that was promised all the way back there to Jacob there in Genesis chapter 28. And that ladder that comes to us in the presence of Jesus Christ, if we believe on him and invite him in, that ladder can be built up between my heart and heaven. And the angels of God the presence of God can ascend and descend upon that heart. Isn't that an amazing privilege and a reality for those who walk with God? I think that the um, Awareness of God's presence is life-altering. And you know, there are many lessons here for us that we could talk about, but we're running out of time, I see. His response to this encounter with God, as he, as he met God there and stood in awe of Him, his response was, was it not, he built the altar and he worshiped and he made commitments to God. He, he re-surrendered to God right there. And isn't that what our devotional life is to be about? So now let's go briefly think about Bible reading and Bible study. I think that we need to just prioritize t- space and time for that, and we all know we need to do that. Here's what Thoreau said. Thoreau said, he said, I believe that the mind can be permanently profaned by the habit of attending to trivial things so that all our thoughts shall be tinged with triviality. I think that's something very true that that philosopher said back there. So. <clears throat> But what, what more profound truth can be found in the universe than this, than what's contained here, the very mind of God, a love letter from God to all those who seek him? Why, why, should, why should we not, as men brothers, uh, try to at least master a little better this book? This is the most profound truth anywhere. And, you know, all the other religions have their holy books, the Quran, Koran, the, the, um, I don't know what, what they all are. The um, Buddhists have their sacred writings. But, you know, that's, those are all dead ends. This leads us to the living God of heaven, the one that Mary knew through Jesus, and the one that Jacob met there that night. And so <clears throat> let's, make, let's prioritize space and time. We need a quiet place, we need enough time, and we need consistency. Um, you know, and um, the importance of physical posture, I think it embodies what is in the heart, and I think that there's a, a place and a time for kneeling, there's a place and a time for standing, and there's a place and a time even for lifting up holy hands in prayer, as the scriptures teach us. Maybe just be a little careful how you do it in a Mennonite church, but if you do it when everybody is praying and has their eyes closed, well, nobody should notice and you're just, uh, you're just obeying the scriptures. But I do think that posture, there's something to posture and maybe even while you're reading uh, the Scriptures, uh, maybe it's a good thing to kneel down and, and be in a posture of surrender even physically as you read this Word and seek to obey. Let's talk about the power of the Word a little bit. You know, there's that parable of the sower that we're so familiar with. And in that parable, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed that seed, and at least some of the seed fell on the good soil. But you know what happened? The seed did not only sprout up and bear fruit, but that seed, that good soil and the seed upon which it grew there, that field was transformed. And eventually somebody had a meal of nice warm bread because of that seed that grew in that good soil. And isn't that what ultimately what a fellowship with God through the reading of his word is about? We want there to be fruit, but we want there to be blessing. We want there to be influence and change. First of all, in our, in our homes, in our, in our churches, in our work environments, and that can happen through the power of the Word that changes hearts and causes the fruit to, to, to come. So <clears throat> the function of God's Word, we've got that familiar passage there, so many things we could talk about there in 2 Timothy 3, that the Word of, the God, the word of God is, is um, useful for things like teaching. It can teach us. Like this morning we heard some, or this afternoon I should say, the, the one message I've been here for so far. We have some excellent teaching on the home, and the Scripture was used to, to, to teach us men how we should raise our families. And the Scripture was also used in such a way that might have brought a little reproof. It did to me, uh, and correction, the Word of God corrects us and the Word of God trains us according to that Scripture in 2 Timothy 3. We can't afford to do without this daily dose and meditation upon the Word of God. But we know that action is critical. In James chapter 1, 21 to 25, we have that picture about the guy who goes in there and he reads the Bible and he reads the scripture and he's like looking into a mirror, but then he goes away from that mirror and he forgets who he was and his life doesn't change. But we're told there not to be like that. We're not to be forgetful hearers. That's why I like to, when I sit down in church, um, you know, and some, some of us preachers are a little more energetic some days than other days. And sometimes we're a little bit boring. And you're used to hearing the same preaching Sunday after Sunday. But don't let that bother you because the Word of God's being preached. So I always like to try to take notes. And um, I see one or two brothers here that are doing that. And I encourage you, men, uh, to one, one takeaway from this thing here today is I encourage you come Sunday morning, take a pen and a scrap piece of paper, or even better yet, buy yourself your sermon note-taking notebook. And you can be gold embossed and all that, and you can bring that to church, and you can sit there and take some notes and, and allow that word that's being preached that that preacher has worked so hard for to take root in your life, maybe a little better, maybe a little more fruit, a little more teaching, reproof, correction, and training can come out of that and make you a better brother in the Lord. And then we want to… The thing about taking notes is you can go back and see what He said because, you know, half the time, the time we come out of church, unfortunately our minds are not on the Word anymore. And we got to go back and remember, and that would be a great way to get a conversation going at the Sunday lunch table, wouldn't it? You can pull out your notes and say, hey, what did you think about what the preacher said here? Not in a critical way, but in an upbuilding way. And maybe you could even develop that message into the week's worth of family devotions. How about that? Wouldn't that be great? So I'm encouraging note-taking <clears throat> as a means of retention. All right, so I'm going to promote right here a uh, thing that kind of changed my life. Probably 20 years ago, I ran into a brother by the name of Ronnie Miller. And Right away, I think I ran into him at SMBI, and right away I noticed something is different about him. What changed in you? He began to tell me that he and a friend developed a Bible reading plan that has just changed his life. So I said, whatever you've got, I want to have it. So he sent me this Bible reading plan, which I made copies of. And by the way, they're back at the table. And I do work at Christian Light, but I have to say that this is not a Christian Light print job or bindery job. So (laughs) Uh, But you might be able to read it. And uh, the way it works is you get through the Bible three times a year with about 45 minutes of reading a day, if you're kind of an average reader like I am. And it's not for everybody. My wife doesn't like it because she's more of a deliberate reader. But if you take this little schedule, I'll tell you how it works. Uh, You start, it has first month, second month, third month, fourth month, and you have day one through day 30 in each month like today is the uh, what is today the 5th so if this is your first month you start on day 5 with genesis 30 to 35 and then that's your old testament reading of course and then in the new testament you've got matthew 10 1 to 1130 so you get a section in the new old testament a section in the new testament and in 4 months time you get through the entire bible it's challenging but very rewarding you get this volume of the word into your mind that you're not used to. And believe me, it can really help us men with all the attacks that we're getting today in the media on our purity and all that. We, we got to fight back. We got to flee from that temptation, don't we men? But fleeing that temptation is not just trying to resist it. It's going the other direction, filling our mind with good things. This is one way to do that by And you could possibly read some of it in the morning, read a section at noon, and read a section at night. Morning, noon, and night. Why don't we do that? We eat three times a day, don't we? I mean, I just sat downstairs there and I ate probably more than I should have of that wonderful pulled pork. But, you know, um, most of us could set aside 10, 15 minutes in the middle of the day, couldn't we, for another kind of feast? So I'm going to promote this. Of course, let's go on to prayer. I've got about two minutes here yet. And let's just talk about prayer as the soldier in action. We've got the armor there in Ephesians chapter 6, but then at the end of that armor it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication for all the saints. And that's that's the the soldier at war. And that is, we all know how how necessary a life of prayer is. But we all know how hard work that is and how difficult it is to pray as we ought. Where is your closet, you know, your closet could be anywhere, it could be in your pickup truck at the lunch hour, it could be in the basement, but it should be a place, a place where you can pull aside. How can we cultivate the desire to pray? Many things we could talk about. I just want to mention the prayer of praying the Psalms. Somebody taught me some years ago that if you really want to get into um, the spirit of prayer and worship. Take the, um, take the psalms. And they were meant to be sung in the original. So we don't have the original, but we can still sing them. Now, here's the advantage of a closet. Because it <laughs> <laughs> So I'm suggesting uh, your own um, ad-lib music or your own tune, and it could be a chant. Many of us, when we were boys, we might practice being an auctioneer. So a little bit of a sing-song chant. Uh, It's amazing how the Psalms can come alive when we set them to audible human voice. Um, The power of praying the Psalms, methods of intercessory prayer, I'll close with this. We're all concerned for our family members and we're all concerned for our churches. And one way to pray for your church, that I've found such a blessing, is use the road map method. You just start at the one end of your church's geographic, wherever your families live. You start at one end of the community, and you just go to one person's house, kind of at the one end of the community. You pray for that household. Now you can do it physically or literally. I used to do that some, believe it or not, when I was first ordained. I would drive around at night to people's houses, and and pray for them. I've kind of lost that amount of dedication. Now I'm more of a mind prayer like like that. You can just travel around in your mind, your community, and pray for each household as you come to them. It's a powerful way of praying for your people. May God bless all of you men as you teach and train your families in the ways of the Lord, as you seek to maintain your own devotion to Christ, that awareness of God's presence and your own Bible reading and prayer. May God bless all of you real good.